Hello, this is Eyes for Ears Talks, our new interview series where we bring on exciting members of the community to talk about ophthalmology and their lives. We're your hosts, Ben Young and Andrew Powell. Today we're recording live from the American Academy of Ophthalmology's Mid-Year Forum in Washington, D.C., where the Academy has brought ophthalmologists from all walks of life to our nation's capital to share ophthalmology perspectives on legislative action with Congress. And here in D.C., we're kicking off that interview series with a guest many of you likely already know, Dr. Andrea Tooley. Andrea is an incredible example for young ophthalmologists looking to carve their own niche in the world. She graduated from the fabulous ophthalmology residency at the Mayo Clinic, is now an oculoplastics fellow in New York. She's also been able to admirably balance a busy residency and fellowship lifestyle with maintaining and growing one of the largest online followings in ophthalmology and medicine. Her warmth and appeal is broad, and she's one of medicine's most prominent voices on social media. You know, I have actually first found out about Andrew's content from a friend in radiology, so thank you, Alicia, for tuning me in. Andrew's YouTube channel has over 60,000 subscribers and over 4 million views, with an ever-growing Instagram account with over 45,000 followers. She's also incredibly active in the academy with the Young Ophthalmologist Committee and Education and Mentorship. Welcome, Andrea. And thank you for coming on. Hey, yes. thank you so much for having me. So how have you been enjoying the conference so far? Mid-Year Forum is my favorite conference out of all the Academy events. I absolutely love Mid-Year Forum. This is my third year here, and it gets better every year. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, you know, we, I want to say we want to plug the Academy for hosting such a fabulous forum and accommodating, you know, not only young ophthalmologists, but residents and fellows so well and helping us get involved in advocating for our own patients. And it's, we've really enjoyed it as first-time attendees ourselves to be able to see how much great discussion topics the Academy always plans. And of course, a lot of that, um, like a whole half-day session was devoted to social media, which you, you, they were having you speak quite often. So sorry if we rehash a lot of this for you. No, it's great. Can you tell us a little bit about what first got you into exploring social media and, um, you know, what, what initially got you into YouTube and Instagram and all that? Yeah, sure. So it's kind of a funny story. I started a blog the day after I took step one. And it's because back in those days, well, this is a long time ago, I was reading a lot of blogs. Blogs were really popular. And it was kind of my stress study relief to read all these blogs and vicariously live through all these people's lives. And I kept thinking, like, I should do this. It would be fun to chronicle medical school and just document my life. And I didn't think anyone would read it. It was really just for me to have this kind of online diary of sorts. And I was really into fitness and um, nutrition. And so I wanted a place to write my recipes and my workouts and things like that. So I started my blog right after I took step one. And... Nobody read it as expected, <laughs> um, but slowly people started asking me more about medical school and to share more about how to get into medical school or how to study. Or I found that people really had one, they didn't care about my recipes or any of my workout things, <laughs> but they really wanted to know about med school. So I thought, well, maybe I'll make some YouTube videos kind of talking about how to study or how to apply or any anything like that. And that's when it really took off. People started watching my YouTube videos. And back then, this was 2012, 2013, there was nobody on YouTube making med school videos. Now, it's amazing. And there's this huge community of med school YouTubers and resident YouTubers that I think provide this amazing resource. But I remember in college, you couldn't find out any information about med school. It was this secret black hole. And if I saw somebody in scrubs, I would run up to them and be like, are you in medical school? Because I need to know everything. I have a million questions. Because you really you couldn't find it. Mm -hmm. And so to me, making these videos was helping people who were in my shoes 
find out about, I didn't know what internship was. I didn't know how fellowship worked. I, I didn't know any of this. And it seems crazy thinking back, but you just didn't, there, there weren't information out there that was easily accessible. So anyways, I think that's why people started watching my YouTube videos, just because of the lack of information. And they became quite popular. And then I kind of transitioned into Instagram when that became more of a thing. And I blogged pretty consistently through med school and intern year. Once I got to ophthalmology residency, I cut back a little because your priorities shift and I wanted to focus on being a great ophthalmologist. And blogs also kind of became less popular during that time. And so now I mostly do Instagram and YouTube as my schedule allows. My priority is still fellowship, of course. Um, But it's been a great, great thing for me. I think it's opened a lot of doors. It's introduced me to a lot of people. I do feel like I've helped people either motivate them or give them information about the whole med school process. And yeah, it's it's just fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Definitely. Um. You mentioned that at the very beginning, you were getting all these questions from your followers about, you know, the medical school process and everything. Was it hard to be able to answer all of them, like, individually? I know that in, in the end, you ended up really producing a great catalog of videos for wider consumption. But was there ever a transition point where you were like, I can't talk to each of these individual thousands of people. Yes, there absolutely was a distinct time where I thought I cannot get to all of these individual questions. And I would try to do kind of question series on YouTube where I would read people's emails and answer questions. And a lot of people ask the same type of question. And so you can put out one kind of generic response that satisfies a lot of people. But I was still getting really specific emails with very personal questions and There came a time when I decided to try to at least monetize a little to provide some consulting type services. And so I started charging for people to Skype with me and then I could give them advice. And mainly that was making like YouTube or not YouTube, making um, MCAT study schedules or helping them pick out their classes or kind of helping them plan out their whole, you know, like away rotations or reading their personal statement or whatever. I charged like 30 bucks for 30 minutes or 50 bucks an hour. And so I didn't feel like I was taking advantage of anyone, but at least it it supplemented my time and it also weeded out some people. And so to me, that seemed like a reasonable thing to do. But And I did that for several years and I was probably Skyping with somebody like once a week or reviewing a personal statement once a week. So it wasn't crazy overwhelming, but it was a little extra money and I felt like I was helping people. And then it got to a point where the new MCAT came out and I had gotten, I was pretty far removed from medical school at that time. I was a resident and I really had this moment where I thought, I'm not a knowledgeable source on this anymore. And there's all kinds of consultants online and people who really do know the ins and outs of the application process and the MCAT. And and I felt like I need to make a decision. I either need to go all in and become an expert and really research all of this and understand the application process, or I need to stop because I felt like I was unqualified to be charging money for advice when there are people far more qualified. So I stopped because I just, you know, I can't advise people on the new MCAT. I didn't take it. I don't know anything about it. And so now I don't do that anymore. But that was kind of the transition point and it helped for a few years. Yeah. That's funny. Um, I didn't even know there was a new MCAT and that's nine years out. <laughs> really? So oh my God. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. It's out. <laughs> that's, of, that's the whole scoring system. It's out of like 530 points. Yeah. It's totally different. Seriously. Something yeah. like that. 
don't know how to like interpret the scores anymore. No, it's, it's completely different. Yeah. 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 yeah, there's a new there's a biochemistry section. It's all it's all. Yeah. I know nothing about it anymore. Yeah. Just because. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel so removed from it too. But it was only a couple wow. years after I applied. So. Yeah. Can you can you maybe talk about you know you talked about transitioning from platforms from like blogging to YouTube and to, to Instagram? Can you maybe comment on some of the platforms that are out there right now and your perspectives on them? You know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. What do you think about those? Sure. Uh, yeah. I think the platforms all serve very specific purposes depending on what your goals are, and so. A lot of t- I talk about social media at a lot of conferences and for a lot of ophthalmologists, and the vast majority are ophthalmologists in their career, and they're interested in using social media for marketing their practice and getting new patients. And so for that, Facebook is great. You can do Facebook ads, which I think are very underpriced, targeted advertising. It's great. Instagram is obviously growing a ton. And so those are the platforms that I would say you should use if you want to market your practice or build your business. And even as residents or fellows who are going to transition into practice, it's good to start having um, at least a presence on either Instagram or build have your own website. You don't have to put any effort into it, just a landing page, because people are going to start Googling you. That's the generation we live in. People Google their doctors before they go. And so that's important. Versus if you want to do the education side of things, which is kind of what I've enjoyed the most. I think YouTube is a fantastic platform for education type material and Instagram too. And you just have shorter content on Instagram and longer content on YouTube. And I think there's a ton of value there. I YouTube any surgery before I'm going to go see something new. I follow different people in oculoplastics on Instagram and I love seeing their little surgical techniques or before and after. It's great. So I think that Real, I think YouTube and Instagram are great for education and Instagram and Facebook are great for marketing. And then Twitter is a tool I think best used just within academics. So for ophthalmologist to ophthalmologist communication, people share new articles and it's a good way to connect with the academy. Like the academy retweets my stuff all the time and I'm a nobody. And so I, you can actually sure, like really, don't agree with that. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, but you can actually really connect with, with people who are leaders in the field on Twitter. You have easy access, I think. Yeah. And so for an academic and professional sense, Twitter's a great place for that. Yeah. That might be an interesting place to bring up. I think you're part of the Young Ophthalmologists Info Committee. Is that the right? Yeah, I'm on the Yo Info Editorial Board. Editorial Board. There's all these different committees within Academy. It's very confusing. And I didn't really get involved with Academy until my second year of residency. I remember I went to the fall meeting Academy as a first year and was crazy overwhelmed. I didn't understand anything. I think I went to the Yo Lounge and was like, wow, there's all these cool people. And like, this is fun. And... um Actually, yesterday at Mid-Year Forum, I don't know if you guys remember, Ruth Williams was talking, and she's a past president of Academy, and she's just my absolute hero. I adore that woman. She's fabulous. And she was sharing the story about how her family loved to watch this parade every year, and they were really into it. And then one year, they decided to actually build a float and be in the parade. And her her sharing that story was to make the point that it's always more fun when you're involved, when you're in the action instead of sitting on the sidelines watching. And that's been my experience with Academy 100%. I enjoy ophthalmology more when I'm really involved and I'm more in the middle of it. And so being involved in Academy made residency more fun. It makes fellowship more fun. And I think it's going to make my career more fun. And so that's why I wanted to get involved, just because it, it just makes everything better. And so I went to Academy as a first year. I met a few people. And 
because I had followers on Instagram and Twitter, some people kind of knew my name and I got to meet some new people. But really just hanging out in the, lo- in the Yo Lounge, you can meet leaders within Academy, like the head of the Yo Committee and all kinds of great people. And then when I came back as a second year, I decided that I really wanted to get involved. And so I went, I didn't know where to go or what to do. I ended up sending my CV to the head of the Yo Committee, who was Purnima Patel at that time. I sent her my CV and I said, hello, (laughs) I would like to help um, put me to work. If you have something that you want me to do, I'll do it. And my thought was maybe they'll give me a small task and I can do it for them and show them that I'm engaged and want to help. And so I just said, you know, give me something to do and I'll do it. And I think they had me write a little article or something like that. And then I ended up getting involved with a task force with Academy. So Academy, there's committee, there's there's all kinds of hierarchy, but there's committees and then there's subcommittees and then there's task forces. So task force is like the entry level. So I got involved with the task force and we were writing review questions for um, like OCAP review questions or BSC, B- BCSC review questions. And so we were editing those and checking them for accuracy and stuff like that. And so that was kind of a labor intense committee, actually. I was on it for a year. It was great. And then and then I got asked to be on the Yo Info editorial board, which is a subcommittee of the Yo committee. And so it's like, are you following this? It's like yeah. ridiculous. Um, so on the Yo Info editorial board, we oversee the Yo Info newsletter. So if you guys get every month, you get an email from Yo Info and it has links to articles and educational material and videos and all kinds of stuff like that. So we decide what those articles are going to be. We write them, we edit them, we put them out every month. And then in June, you get the Yo Info resident edition, which is that it's like a book that you got at the very beginning of residency that had an OCAP reading schedule and it has like an, a list of acronyms or a list of like lenses or the pediatric exam or the emergency eye exam. It's all just like high yield, good stuff for residents. So that's our big thing that we do. And so we put that out in June and um, it's great. I've really enjoyed being involved on Yo Info. And then just at this past fall meeting, I was asked to be on the communications committee, which is the different committee. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Thank you so much. And so as that, I get to be a spokesperson for Academy. And I get to be on the news and interview in magazines and just be a spokesperson as an ophthalmologist. And um, it's been great. It picked a fantastic person. Well, thank so. you. <laughs> so nice. Yeah, so, that, you know, that, that really helps transition us into a, another question, which is, you know, you have all this, this stuff going on with uh, your own social media platforms. You're heavy involved with the Academy, but you're also in a busy fellowship in a busy city and you were in a busy residency, too. How did you balance all of these responsibilities and juggle everything together? Yeah. We would really like to know sure. that. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to give you any great tips here. I mean, it's hard. You all, We all are balancing a million things. And I'm not doing any more than anybody else is doing. I'm Maybe my stuff's just more visible. But everybody has their plate full, either with family life or financial commitments or, you know, a million other things. And so for me, and it's always been this way, med school, residency, fellowship, always is priority number one. Because at the end of this, I want to be an excellent ophthalmologist. I want to be an outstanding orbital surgeon. And so that's like top, top number one and everything else comes below that. And that's just my priority for sure because I want to be a great clinician and surgeon. And so fellowship comes first and I focus on my fellowship. I do my reading for my fellowship and and that all 
takes priority. That's like, you know, the analogy where you fill a glass with big rocks and then you put in like the little rocks and then the pebbles and the sand and then the water and all falls into place. Yeah. So fellowship and and my family, my husband, those are like the big rocks. Um, And then after that, you just fill in with whatever time you have for what's important at that moment. So academy stuff doesn't take up my time all the time, but there's certain months where I have a deadline or a paper to review or something to write or whatever. And so you do that. And then when you have downtime from that, then you work on some of the research articles that you're working on. And then when it was time to study for boards, I put all of that on hold and I wasn't doing anything except for studying for boards and listening to this podcast, by the way, which was (laughs) outstanding. And I really think I got definitely one question where I thought, oh, I know this because I listened to the Eyes for Ears podcast. Just one question. That's all we would ask. It might have been two, but it was definitely (laughs) one. But but I thought that in my head, like, oh, thanks, guys. It's great. Um, Yeah. So, so, so I was studying a lot and not working on research. Now that studying is over, my focus is on research. There's a lot of abstract deadlines coming up. And so I'm working on all of my projects for that. And then academy stuff for the fall is going to start getting busy. So I'll try to get research projects done. Then I'll start working on academy stuff. You just kind of have to keep a rolling yeah. schedule and work on what's imminently the most important. And all right. It sounds like you kind of keep like, you know, Keep your eye on one step ahead so you know, like, I get this done now so that the next thing that comes up I can get take care of. That right? seems yeah. to be the best way to yeah. do things. It doesn't yeah. always work that way. And there's you're always, like, <laughs> ju- struggling to finish something at the last minute, inevitably. Yeah. But most of the time, yeah. you know, that's what's going on. Awesome. Well, you're an inspirational example to all of us trying to do that. So thank you. You guys are all doing great. Um, we have probably a, a bunch of our audience and listeners are younger residents too, who haven't quite made the decision about which, what they're going to do next and the next after their training. Um, you, know, you probably get asked this question a lot, I'm sure, but, um, what made you decide to choose oculoplastics and orbital surgery? That's a great question. I A lot of people ask if I knew I wanted to do plastics going into residency, especially because with plastics, you have to decide pretty early. Yeah. And I did not know. I had no. I didn't know anything about plastics. I did not know about it or think about it ahead of time. It was my first rotation as a first year. And so we start our rotations in um, the fall. And so like October, November was my first experience with plastics. And I loved it. I just immediately really, really loved it. But I thought I might like cornea was another interest of mine, which was my last rotation of first year. So I thought, well, I'll kind of go through the year pretending like maybe I'll do plastics so that at least I have my ducks in a row. And then if I love cornea at the end, then great, I'll just do cornea, but at least I'll have been prepared to maybe do plastics. And um, so as I progressed through the year, I really didn't dislike anything, but it was hard for me to think I could do this for the rest of my life. I honestly didn't love cataract surgery as much as I thought I would. I think some people get to a point where it's just this like jive jam and they're all having fun in the OR and it gets like easy breezy. It was always very stressful for me. I never had fun doing cataract surgery. I was always so like, I hope nothing bad happens. And it just was never fun. Um, Like always very anxiety provoking Um, versus plastics, which I, I just thought was great. Always. I really liked the variety of plastics and I actually, and I didn't know this was important to me before I chose ophthalmology, which you'd think I would have known, but I prefer the macroscopic to the microscopic. I actually really prefer not operating under the microscope, which I don't know how I didn't know that um, going into ophthalmology, but 
It's true. So, I mean, the microscope's fine, but I I much prefer a bigger field and I much prefer um, like seeing the anatomy and just the intra, I don't love intraocular surgery as much as I hoped I would. So that's the end of it. Yeah. And um, I adore orbital surgery. It's a challenge. It's very exciting. And I think you can make a huge difference in patients' lives. That's why we all went into ophthalmology. It's great surgeries, instant gratification. You're really helping people. And so plastics, I liked that it's creative in, in nature. No, no surgery is really exactly the same. Everybody has different functional and cosmetic concerns. And so even t- something simple as ptosis, like everybody's curvature is different and uh, there's very subtle nuances of the cosmetic outcome, even if it's a functional surgery. So anyways, that's why I love plastics. And so I got to my cornea rotation. I thought, yeah, this is fine, but I can't handle I, – I can't do the refractive stuff. And I just – I didn't love it. So – I decided to go all in on plastics. And it's funny because all of my co-residents, no joke, like day one of residency, they looked at me and said, oh, you're doing plastics. And I had no, I was like, why? What? What? How do you know this? They're like, no, no, you're doing plastics. It's like not even a question. So they all knew. And then, and then I came in all excited one day. I'm like, you guys, I decided I'm doing plastics. And they're like, yeah. We like, like no one was surprised. So maybe there's something about me that I didn't even know. But yeah, that's how it went. Yeah, it's weird how there's that sorting hat of specialty selection. Definitely, it's all like we all get sort of pigeonholed a bit. And thank you for answering. I felt I felt a little embarrassingly like a interview committee just asking. Oh no, no, <laughs> why plastic? Back to shades. <laughs> Many interviews in the past. But. Yes, going through fellow fellowship, fellowship interviews, they will ask you that question over and over. Yeah. You can't copy that answer if you're listening. But you can use it for inspiration. <laughs> so maybe we can ask a little bit about you know other fun things about your road to ophthalmology as well along the way, I noticed reading the about section of your website that you were an English major. Um, and as a comparative literature major myself, sometimes I like to think that I have a bit of an edge over Ben. <laughs> nice. But it turns out that both he and you were also chemistry majors, so I'm kind of feeling a little outnumbered, actually. Um, do you feel that your diverse liberal arts background has really brought you to or like has helped you and um, prepared you particularly well for where you find yourself these days in life? I do, actually. I think my English major helped me a lot just feel more comfortable writing. I think a lot of people go through science majors, they haven't written anything in a really long time. Um, and so I felt quite comfortable picking up and writing papers right away. It's, it's never been too much of a struggle. I'm not the most exceptional writer, but I think I'm fine. And I think my English major helped me with that. And then also... This is not super related, but just having been well-read and having been exposed to more liberal arts things, it has helped me talk with attendings. Like, there's all kinds of things that I know, like, oh, we can talk about Milton or, you know, whatever, Francis Bacon, because I was an English major, and they love that, which is really fun to connect with somebody on a different level, and I actually think that having a liberal arts background has helped me with that. I, I did double major in chemistry, but only because it was exceptionally easy at my particular institution. It was just like one additional class. I do not yes. believe that. No, I swear. <laughs> there, it, was, it was very easy. We didn't have to get, um, was it the American Chemical Society or something? ACS. ACS, yeah. So I think with most chemistry majors, you have to do an ACS certification or thesis or there's something and if we were a double major, you didn't have to do that. So then you didn't have to take 
PCAM or there was, like, it was, it was easier. I'm not going to take credit for a very rigorous chemistry major here. Um, but it, yeah, so I did double major in that, but the English was a really enjoyable thing for me. I, I loved getting to read all of that and yeah, it was super. Yeah. Perfect fit for the young ophthalmology editorial board. No, thank sure. you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Is there any, uh, yeah, any other advice or, or, or tips you'd want to give to, you know, young residents or med students who maybe be listening to our podcast? Well, yeah. I mean, you guys have an amazing podcast, so I would encourage everyone to continue listening. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, it's great. You didn't pay her. <laughs> financial disclosures. It's great. No, but you guys work so hard, and residency is not easy. And so you just have to know that you're doing a good job and that it, it it's really challenging. Residency is hard. So you're all doing awesome. Great job. You'll get to where you want to be. And then we are a mid-year forum, so I'm going to give a plug for mid-year forum, which is Please. the greatest conference ever. If you're a resident, you should absolutely try to go. I think it completely broadens your, your view of ophthalmology. You learn all kinds of things you didn't know. I didn't know any of the political issues or any legislative bills or what our concerns are as ophthalmologists until I started coming. And I think it's really enriched my career as an ophthalmologist, understanding how we can better advocate for our patients and you can take it back to your state. Everybody knows that we're facing state battles on many, many levels, and there's this is all going to be coming for if if it's not in your state, it's coming. And so Midyear Forum prepares you and trains you. And then also besides just the advocacy side of it, it really allows you to hook up with all the leaders in ophthalmology. Like this is the meeting where every attendee here is a major player and a huge leader. And so you leave feeling so inspired, so invigorated. I mean, at the conference, at the Leap conference yesterday, we had the CEO of Academy talk to us huge, huge people like past presidents of Academy. And it's just unbelievable. So I would encourage everyone to go have your state society fund you. You can write an iWiki article to get funding from the Academy. You can apply to subspecialty of your fellow, like American Glaucoma Society takes somebody, ASCRS or, um, yeah, they, ASRS, they take somebody, ASOPers take somebody. So come, it's a great, great conference. We both definitely have to echo that with, you know, we had pretty high expectations coming to this conference and it really went above and beyond everything we thought we would learn, the people we would meet, um, the experiences that we had in this awesome city. So thank you, Connecticut's State Society for sponsoring us. <laughs> yeah. And Yale University. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's uh, that's all for our interview today. We want to thank, thank, thank Andrea Tooley for honoring us with some of her time here. She's been very busy, so we are very lucky to snag just a little bit of her time. If you don't already follow Dr. Tooley, you can search for her on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And follow we you must follow or subscribe to her. Um, you really Let won't regret it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know if that's, do you prefer to like say your handle? Oh, sure. No, I can say my handle. So on Instagram, I'm Dr. Andrea Tooley, but it's dr.andreatooley. On YouTube, you can just search Andrea Tooley and you'll find my channel. And then on Twitter, I'm Dr. Andrea Tooley, but there's no dot. So just Dr. Andrea Tooley. And, you know, she has so much great uh, content on there for trainees of all levels from pre-med to medical school. There's a lot that I think you can find no matter where you are. So with that, we greatly appreciate your time, Dr. Tooley. Thank you so much. We hope to have you on again. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again for listening to the very first episode of the Eyes for Ears interview series. And once again, thank you to Dr. Tooley for being our very special first ever guest on the interview series. 
If you have any suggestions for the series or know someone that we, you think that we should interview, then we'd love to hear suggestions on our Twitter at eyes4ears with number four. You can also find us at eyes4ears.net, the word four spelled out. We hope to see you again next week. And this series does not mean that we're going to stop our regular review podcast. We're going to come back next week with another episode. Until next time, have a good week. Bye.